This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, thanks so much for all the well wishes. I know on the last podcast I talked about the fact that I got the Rona, but I'm on the mend. Uh, If you hear me clearing my throat a little bit more than normal in this podcast, I might be taking some extra breaks. Don't worry, I'm not going to edit them out. But I still got some junk in my throat that I can't quite uh, get to clear out, so I guess that's some remnants of the Rona. But yeah, my wife and I, basically had fairly mild symptoms, uh, and so did our son. And so we're, we're very happy and thankful, uh, and feeling blessed to be on the, for the most part done with all that, but let's go ahead and get into the podcast episode for today. On the last episode, we talked not only about the Rona, but we also talked about the incredibly, incredibly bad 24 hours the Republican party had. So basically they lose both Senate runoff races in the state of Georgia, which is still shocking, but that was capped off by what was considerably more shocking, which was what Trump supporters did at the United States Capitol. Uh, And I go into that in grave detail and literally anywhere you turn to for news for the last week has been talking about that in grave detail. So I don't feel the need to keep on going on about that. But that was on the 6th, Wednesday, the 6th of January. But on Friday, the 8th of January, the United States in, in the first amendment fundamentally changed potentially forever. So on that day, on last Friday, January the 8th, as you know by now, Twitter announced that they were permanently banning Donald Trump from their platform. So previously, Twitter had temporarily banned Donald Trump after the riot at the Capitol. Uh, They said they were going to ban him, I believe, for 12 hours and that he would be reinstated if he deleted the tweets that he tweeted during that time that got him banned. But then they just made the ban permanent on Friday. Now, what's interesting about that is I remember seeing earlier on Friday that hundreds of Twitter employees had signed an open letter inside of Twitter saying that they demanded that the CEO, Jack Dorsey, ban Donald Trump for forever. And I just remember giggling, thinking like, ah, here we go. These woke staffers basically demanding change or we're going to get mad and leave, even though they're not because they like getting paid six figures to code all day. But I just remember kind of scoffing at that. And just a few hours later, it was real life. I don't know if the letter had anything to do with it, but I just remember that being kind of interesting. And here's the reason that was given for the permanent ban of Donald Trump. And this was tweeted by at Twitter safety. And uh, yeah, I'll just read the whole thing to you. So it's just a couple of sentences. After closer view of recent tweets from at real Donald Trump account and the context around them, we have permanently suspended the account due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Okay, so there was there was more stuff if you click the link, but again, they, they did it because of risk of the further incitement of violence. And we'll talk more about that later. So President Donald Trump, again, the sitting president and his 80 plus million followers, poof, just gone like a fart in the wind, just disappear, right? All gone, all the tweets, the entirety of it, it's gone. And then Facebook announced that they were banning Trump. 
Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, obviously, banned Trump permanently. TikTok, Reddit, they had the subreddit for Donald Trump, that was gone. Credit card processors of Donald Trump gear and memorabilia, they, they all followed suit, permanently banning the sitting president of the United States. Now, just to be honest with you, and a lot of you would disagree with me on this, but you know, this is my opinion. I think the Trump brand might be irrevocably damaged, which shouldn't be a ridiculous thing to say. But to some of you, it's like, no, 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 it's Trump or bust. It's Trump forever. You know, it's Trump right or die until he dies. And then basically it'll be Donald Trump Jr. And then it'll be Eric. And then it'll be Ivanka, like whatever. But I believe that this damage that he did to his own personal brand and that he did to the country, that's going to extend to his children. So, uh, they're, they're going to be inextricably linked with their father for obvious reasons, but then also for political reasons and really anyone that's directly affiliated with this administration. I mean, Mike Pence, he's damaged goods potentially for forever. Josh Hawley of Missouri and Ted Cruz of Texas, both of them, two of the, the more well-known outspoken senators that were going to be challenging the results on the sixth. Uh, those two are maybe permanently damaged. There are several house of representatives members that are very tightly linked to Donald Trump and kind of the MAGA doctrine and all those different things. It, it's going to have some long standing ramifications and people obviously in big tech, they have, you know, long memories when it comes to these types of things. Now, when Donald Trump was banned initially from Twitter and then from basically everywhere else, there's been kind of equal amounts of praise and outrage. So there, there are a lot of celebrities and a lot of Twitter type people that are just absolutely, you know, they're so over the moon that this is finally happening. But even people that hate Trump were like, so wait a minute, you could have done that the whole time and you chose not to. I thought that was an interesting take and an honest take from these people because there were people that for four years thought he was an existential threat to the constitutional Republic, that he was a Russian stooge and a plant, uh, and a Manchurian candidate and all these horribly horrific things. Like his words literally bring about death, you know, all those things. And so they were just, they were mad at Twitter for a different reason, not for getting rid of him for, but for waiting so long. And then there were obviously the conservative voices that were coming out saying that the, like, this is crazy. People that care about the first amendment, people that care about the constitution, they care about free speech. They care about not living under tyranny. Now, all those people were very, very outraged at this because the thing is, is you can separate him being banned on a, on a site that says that they're for free speech and the actions that, that he did that kind of led to the horrible outcome that we saw at the Capitol last week and led to five people dying. But Perhaps the most surprising take that I saw online was from the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. And this shouldn't be a surprise because of what the ACLU used to stand for. But now they've just kind of been this leftist movement and, and you know, substantiation crew. And this was something that they, they took. I'll just give you a little bit of a snippet. But they said this, quote, it should concern everyone when companies like Facebook and Twitter wield the unchecked power to remove people from platforms that have become indispensable for the speech of billions, especially when political realities make those decisions easier. I think they're obviously alluding to the political realities and the fact that all three branches of government, well, basically the, the legislature and the executive branch, both are completely controlled by Democrats and will be as we go into the White House. Uh, next week with uh, Joe Biden going to the White House rather. But when you look at this situation, it's almost too easy to point out the hypocrisy of this move by Twitter. But let's go ahead and do that already because I think it's still worth it to point that out because there are legitimately people on Twitter every day 
calling for literal violence. Literal violence. Now, true, they, they don't have the same impact as President Trump and his 80 plus million followers did. But you either have that line that is uncrossable or you don't. And so for Twitter, it's like, okay, so Trump passed some sort of line that you just can't be down with for forever. But the person that in the comments or responses to someone's tweet, whether they disagree with the the political party they support or the football team they support or their favorite color and wishes death upon that person, eh, those people aren't banned forever. They may not even be banned temporarily. And and obviously this is a one-way street. Okay. This is obviously Democrats and leftists silencing Republicans and conservatives. That that's the ultimate thing that we're seeing here with, with all of this. And the, the thing that should really be terrifying to all of us is how easily this was done. And we'll certainly spend some, some more time talking about that in a little bit, but how easy was it for these Democrats and leftists to silence Republicans and conservatives? But also the the thing that it brings up for me is how far can the violence blame game reach? And you've heard a lot of people talk about these examples. I'm certainly not the first person to point them out, but is Barack Obama responsible for the police officers that were killed in Dallas? There were six police officers that were killed by a Black Lives Matter supporter, an individual. And a lot of the things that they believed were a lot of things that Barack Obama had been saying publicly. So is he responsible for those deaths in some way? How about Bernie Sanders? Is he responsible for the Republican congressmen that were shot during their baseball practice a few years ago? Because he, his rhetoric towards the Republican party saying they're literally killing people with, with their rhetoric and with their policy decisions that led a Bernie Sanders supporter to go and shoot these people up. Is he responsible? And here's another one. Is the democratic party writ large responsible for the death of David Dorn, the retired police chief? Uh, from Missouri that was killed during these Black Lives Matter riots protecting one of his friend's stores? Because the Democratic Party just looked the other way for the entire summer as most of these major cities across the country burned. Are, are they responsible for his death and the, the many other deaths that happened because of BLM and Antifa? Because do you see how this goes? Uh, people want to play these stupid games. And obviously if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, but this is an interesting thing to talk about blame because I think Donald Trump was putting out very incendiary language that a bunch of morons thought was their, their actionable Intel for what they should do next. But if you go back to what Donald Trump said, literally in Washington, DC, the morning of that rally, right before those people went and stormed the Capitol, he told them to go to the Capitol and be peaceful. He literally wanted them to be peaceful. So you can't say that Trump incited these people directly when he did not say, Hey, go to the Capitol, push your way in and and make sure that your voice is heard no matter what you have to do. He didn't say that. Are his hands completely clean in this situation? Absolutely not. I think his, his rhetoric and the things that he was saying leading up to that day were reprehensible in a lot of ways. But again, how far can the violence blame game go? I could play that all day. And then also people that are still allowed to tweet, even though 
Twitter is so full of it. I mean, when I think about this, it absolutely like short circuits my brain because of the hypocrisy of this move. And it's because of the people that are still allowed to have a Twitter that have tweets that are violent, that are not being asked to take down. The obvious and most egregious example of this is Iran's Supreme Leader, the Ayatollah, Ayatollah Ali Khomeini. Uh, This guy, as recently as July of 2020, he tweeted this, quote, the Islamic Republic of Iran will never forget the martyrdom of Hajj Qasim Soleimani and will definitely strike a reciprocal blow to the United States. So what could a reciprocal blow be? Well, the United States killed Qasim Soleimani, right? So you would think a reciprocal blow would also involve violence and potentially death. That's that tweet. As far as I know, it's still up. And the Ayatollah Ali Khomeini is still able to tweet on a daily basis. He doesn't have a verified checkmark account, but he's still allowed to tweet. And back in 2018, there's this tweet that still exists. He took aim at Israel and all the Jews inside of it by saying this, quote, our stance against Israel is the same stance we have always taken. Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen, unquote. Now, they're not meaning eradicated like we're going to ask them nicely to leave and give them a sandwich on the way out the door. They want the complete destruction of the Jewish state and all the Jews in it. Okay? But but let's keep going with these people that are still allowed to tweet. Just about anyone that fervently supports Black Lives Matter and Antifa has called for violence at some point on Twitter. Colin Kaepernick a favorite about Black Lives Matter in May of 2020 tweeted this, quote, when civility leads to death, revolting is the only logical reaction. The cries for peace will rain down and when they do, they will land on deaf ears because your violence has brought this resistance. We have the right to fight back. Rest in power, George Floyd, unquote. Here's another one. Planned Parenthood can still tweet. Planned Parenthood is responsible for the slaughter and murder of several hundred thousand babies every single year. They can tweet. There's a plethora of Chinese propaganda accounts. Uh, Nicolas Maduro, the the dictator of Venezuela, he can tweet. Louis Farrakhan still has his account. How about OJ Simpson? He's got an account. Richard Spencer, the, the famed white supremacist, he has an account. And here's the other thing about Twitter. It took them a very long time, very long time before they were getting rid of Islamic fundamentalist terrorist accounts on their platform. That they, they, they really started to feel pressure to delete them, and then finally they did. But for, for months and for some, in some cases, years, there were these terrorist accounts that were basically coordinating terrorist attacks and the recruitment of new people to join different caliphates on Twitter. But Donald Trump saying that the election was rigged, which there's seemingly no evidence for at this point, no direct evidence of that, That was a bridge too far, a bridge too far. Interesting. So there's obviously an aftermath to all of this because that was the big news on Friday, which interesting that it would be done on Friday because that's kind of a light news day. If you're wanting to hide anything in the news cycle, you make sure you release it on Friday afternoon, but it is obviously dominated all the way through this week. But then the interesting thing that we started seeing Friday night is that conservatives, prominent conservatives on Twitter, their accounts were being purged of followers. So in a statement to the Washington Examiner, a Twitter spokesperson said that the purge was just routine, quote, as part of our work to protect the integrity of the conversation on Twitter, we regularly challenge accounts to confirm account details such as email and phone number. Until the accounts confirm additional account information, they are in a locked state and do not count towards follower accounts, unquote. But it wasn't happening to any other type of an account except for conservatives. 
I mean, what conservatives started posting online is, oop, just lost another thousand followers. Oop, lost 50,000 followers today. And it was all kind of commensurate with their level of followership, but we weren't seeing the same thing from blue checkmark people. The typical blue checkmark people that are on the Democrat side of the aisle or leftists, we started seeing that right after this announcement. It's more than interesting, okay? But then we kind of had the, the big move, and this is the big move from big tech, and that was shutting down Parler. Okay, so you've not heard me talk a whole lot about Parler on this podcast at the end of the show. We don't say, hey, follow us on Parler. We do have a Parler account with Undaunted Life. I do have a personal Parler account. Basically, I have those as fail safes or as, you know, last ditch things like, hey, you know, if Twitter and Instagram and all these other things disappear and Parler is the only thing left, I don't want to be the guy left without the account. So that's basically why I have it, but I don't use the application. But for forever. People were told, conservatives were told, hey, if you don't like our rules, if you don't, if you think we're tyrannical and all that, go build your own social media. And so people that love free speech, which happen to be conservatives, they did build their own social media account or, or their own platform and they built Parler, but that got shut down too. And that's the interesting thing that these people aren't thinking about is how Parler was shut down because it was so egregious, but it started with Google. Google deleted the Parler app from their app store. So you could not go into the Google app store if you have an Android phone and download the Parler app. And not long after that, Apple did the exact same thing with their app store. But then Amazon Web Services deleted Parler's hosting and cloud services. So basically three companies got together and made Parler worthless. Because a lot of people were like, I'm getting off Twitter, you know, after Donald Trump was, was told that he could no longer be on there. They're like, I'm getting off Twitter for forever. Follow me over to Parler. And then three companies dominated by leftist people and Democrats shut down that rival place where these people go and talk. Now, what they've said is that people that stormed the Capitol, they use Parler to get together to kind of figure out how they were going to get in and the violence that they were going to do and all those different things that they use the Parler app. But again, I want to take you back to that long list of people that have propagated violence, almost all of them on the actual platform that still have the ability to tweet. There's, there's no consistency with how they apply this because Google and Apple didn't turn around and say, yeah, you know what? Uh, a lot of these attacks this summer on these innocent business owners and their businesses were started on Facebook groups, on private Facebook groups and all that. So we just need to, you know, get rid of Facebook. We need to get rid of that app. But we don't see that. To a certain degree, they're taking away potential competitors and, and they're also just taking away their own, their own clients, Right. But that's maybe the scariest thing that we've seen, as opposed to an individual that got banned, banning an entire place for people to go and talk. Because Parler was called conservative Twitter. That was the kind of thing that I didn't really enjoy about it because it was just conservatives on there all kind of saying the same thing as kind of an echo chamber. But supposedly there was no way to to be on Parler or to to be blocked if you were a leftist or a Democrat and be on Parler. You you totally could have gone and done that. It was a platform that was meant to be respectful of free speech and respectful of the First Amendment and to, to take people in that direction. And they were shut down so easily, so easily rather. And the thing that this made me think about is three companies got together and they basically did away with this entity that handles a lot of conservative voices. And I started to think about how easy it would be for someone to be completely wiped off the face of the digital planet. Okay. And so I started thinking through that. And so I'm going to use an example as of a person that most of you would know, and that's Ben Shapiro. So 
Let's talk about how we could wipe Ben Shapiro off the face of the digital planet. One of the most prominent conservative voices, certainly for young conservatives. So the first thing you would do is you would suspend all of his social media accounts. So he has 6.1 million followers or uh, likes on Facebook, rather 3.3 million followers on Twitter, 2.5 million followers on Instagram. And then you got all the large numbers with the daily wire, but you could just basically suspend those accounts. Then you would delete his YouTube channel. So he's got 2.6 million subscribers on YouTube. Then you would remove the Ben Shapiro show from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So if I'm not mistaken, those are the three biggest places where podcasts are listened to. You would discontinue the sale of his books on Amazon, which is where a large majority of his books are purchased. Then, well, there's a couple other things you could do, but let's just stop there, okay? The number of companies that would have to act in unison to essentially delete Ben Shapiro and delete the impact of one of the most influential voices on the internet is about six companies. Google, which owns YouTube and Google Podcasts, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, which also owns Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. Six companies. And all of a sudden, Ben Shapiro doesn't really exist. But then if you wanted to go whole hog with it, you remove all fan accounts for Ben Shapiro on social media. You remove all videos on YouTube with Ben Shapiro in them or Ben Shapiro clips. You remove the internet hosting, which would disallow people from going to, you know, dailywire.com, perhaps. If your credit card companies don't allow subscriptions to the Daily Wire or any Ben Shapiro affiliated websites, for credit card companies to not allow for the purchase of his books from any vendor, not just Amazon. And I could keep going, but but you see kind of where I'm going with this? The point is, is that it wouldn't take very many companies to collude to basically make someone's reach useless. I mean, the worst ones are probably the credit card companies. Because you might think, well, yeah, you know, he can still sell his books and still get his name out there. But what if these credit card companies start having a a list of books that can't be purchased? And his books are on that list. That your credit card literally won't work if you go to pay for it. Because now you're going to have to go to these bookstores and pay with cash if you're going to be able to access a Ben Shapiro book or his thoughts. Do you see how relatively easy it was to get rid of someone whose opinion you detest? And so I, that just, I kept thinking through that and I thought through myself and I thought through this podcast and I've thought about before, you know, if you spend all this time and effort building these entities based on these web, these web services that they don't like your opinion. But I do have a few thoughts for people that are cheering the censorship. They, they love it, right? They, you know, this is, you know, not a bridge too far to them. This is like, well, why didn't this happen sooner? This is so great. The first thing is that the first amendment is not randomly applicable. So the First Amendment, obviously, if you know your constitution, it goes into a lot of different areas, and one of those areas is free speech. But you don't want it to be randomly applicable in the situations where you find it appropriate. You don't want that. Because the next thought is this, and you and you just you gotta think through this, especially if you're listening to this and you agree with the censorship. You never know when your own opinion will be the one that is considered heterodox by the elites in power. You never know when it's going to be you in the crosshairs. If you think that this can't happen to you, you are a fool. You have all these people cheering, oh, he's gone, you know, the bad orange man, he's gone and all that. But what about when you break away from leftist ideologies? Are you going to be banned next? 
you've got to assume that it can happen to you. And the last thing, I guess, for the people that are cheering on the censorship is that there are no limiting principles to this. You hear Representative Dan Crenshaw talk a lot about limiting principles, and he talks about how Democrats basically have none. He, he doesn't know when your outrage will be taken care of. He doesn't know when your thirst will be quenched. It's like, okay, you're screaming in the streets. You want justice. You want equality. You want all these things. What do you want specifically? Or is it that you just want to scream in the streets and break things? Because most people have limiting principles. There's, there's only so far that we would go. Okay. So a limiting principle for me might be the fact that I absolutely detest that there is such a thing as an abortion doctor, but I'm not going to go hunt down and murder abortion doctors. There, there's a limiting principle there because I can't say that I'm for the human's right to life and for people, the Imago Dei to not be destroyed while at the same time going and destroying the Imago Dei. There's a consistency there, but also there's limiting principles, but most of leftist ideology doesn't limit at a certain point, unless you consider that point to be utopia, which is unattainable, obviously. But then I also have thoughts for everyone that is with me over here on the wrong side of history, as some people might call it. And this guys might be the biggest point of this entire podcast. And it's that people that work at these big tech companies, they have a worldview that dictates that speech is violence because violence is violence, but speech is violence too. It's categorically the same in their mind. Okay. Cause, cause I want you to remember why did they shut Donald Trump down? They shut down Trump because the risk of further incitement of violence. Now the incitement that they're discussing led to real violence, real pushing and shoving, real bloodshed, real death. But how often have you seen it from these people, especially in the last couple of years when the Overton window has shifted in this area, that saying certain things is just like hurting someone with your fist? Because these entities, they will start shutting down Republicans and conservatives and Christians. They're going to start shutting these people down because of what they believe. Because according to these people, If I tell a man, a male, a biological male that now wears makeup, dresses, and wants to be called Cheryl, they're going to tell me that if I tell this person or just say in general that Cheryl is not a woman, Cheryl is a biological male that probably has gender dysphoria and needs to be institutionalized or helped in some way, that that is me doing violence to Cheryl. Because again, like, like I've got a pretty clear standard on this and this isn't about the, uh, the Q side of the LGBTQ or the, the T side, I guess the, the transgender side is that if you want to be called by a different name, that's fine. I'll call you by your name, but I'm not going to pretend as if your biological thoughts align with reality. If you're a male and you think that you're female, but these people would think that I would be doing violence in that moment. If I were to say that a woman doesn't have the right to choose whether or not the baby inside of her gets to live, they don't get to choose that, that could be considered a violence towards that person. If I tell someone that just because they're black does not mean that they have less of a chance to succeed in the United States of America, some people consider that to be violence. 
If I say that the United States was founded in 1776 and not 1619, that is considered violence to people. So can I be shut down so that they don't risk the further incitement of violence? Do you see how this goes? Again, I I really think this is the biggest point here. It's what is violence and who gets to decide whether or not you're being cited toward that. That's the big takeaway to think about on this podcast. Think about the things that you believe that are Republican things, conservative things, Christian things, you know, any of those types of things. Those are considered violent to some people. And so this kind of leads to the last thing, which really affects what we do here, which is if you're building your income and your life based on access to these platforms, beware. Because I thought about a lot kind of moving to more of a YouTube channel type thing uh, to get more access to the things that we do here for you all. But then I just think about the people that I know of that have been silenced on YouTube because they say some of the things that I say on this podcast. Like they talk about homosexuality and about transgenderism and they talk about abortion and they talk about all these things and they don't agree with the typical leftist ideology on all these things. And so you spend all this time, all this effort and all this money getting things going on these platforms. And then with one decision, all that goes away. Your account can be shut down. They can change the standards by which they allow you to access their platform. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you agreed that you would never mention abortion in a negative light. And then you went out and did it. So obviously we had to, we had to go by our guidelines. We had to keep you from being able to do that and propagating violence against women. Right? So for me, I, I guess my ask for you is I want your feedback on how to best interact with you and allow you to support this ministry financially and with your attention and to share us around. Because right now, all we do is produce free content. I haven't asked you guys for a dime, but the day's coming. The day's coming when I'm going to want to get into the fight a little bit more than I am now. And I'm talking with some entities right now to make that a reality to where we can really enter the fight, the cultural fight, the fight for the souls of all of us, the fight to protect human lives. And the thing about it is, is if the best way to do that is utilizing some of these platforms that I've described earlier, then perhaps that's what we'll do. But if you would, I want your feedback. If you would email me, info at undaunted.life, that's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life, and kind of tell me some of the different ways that you think that we could best align with you, but also the types of content that you would pay for, that you would support, the things that you want to see us do that are bigger than just the the devotional that you read on version or the stuff we put on Instagram or the stuff that we put here on the airwaves. So... That would be a nice, huge favor. I appreciate it in advance. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing you content that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, got a slight deviation, but Jordan Peterson is back. He is back doing his podcast live. He seems to be in good health. He's got a new book coming out here in about six or seven weeks or so, but he just released episode one of season four of the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. And it was an interview that he did 
did with Matthew McConaughey. Uh, it was a very interesting interview, obviously, with one of the most renowned uh, clinical psychologists on the planet and one of the most renowned actors on the planet. So I wanted to go ahead and give you a YouTube link so you can watch that because I think you would enjoy it. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2021, so if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your team, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. The email is the same, I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter for now at Undaunted Life or Facebook.com backslash Undaunted Life. Check out our free devotionals on the Uversion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. I need a